Hey, Old Worlders, future Matt, Lance, and Steve here, and we wanted to give you a quick update uh, on how things are going with the Old World podcast. So we have been, uh, like you, dealing with COVID, children and everything else. Uh, several of us work in the healthcare industry, and so the last uh, couple of months have been particularly tough. The new section in this episode, is we, we ended up completely cutting it because we'd actually recorded this episode a little while ago. And uh, long story short, you might have noticed we haven't had a lot of content come out. We'll have more content coming along. Uh, we've got some stuff already in the works. Uh, we have some guests already lined up. And uh, you're going to be excited about some of the topics we have uh, for the show topics. Actual play, we're sitting on it. It's ready to go out the door. So you'll see that coming very shortly. So um, we appreciate you sticking with us. Um, and we're, we, uh, we apologize for going dark there for a little bit. As always, thanks for your support. Crimson Tower Studios. Welcome to the Old World Podcast, the unofficial podcast for Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay and the original podcast to bring you both discussion and actual play in 4th edition. I'm one of your hosts, Lance, and tonight I'm joined by my co-hosts, Steve and Matt. And in addition, we are once again joined by the Lord of the Underdeep, Nolan. How's everyone doing tonight? Hey Lance, doing great. Looking forward to talking about some more Warhammer 4th edition careers. Yeah, I'm doing pretty good. It's uh, I'm glad to be back and doing uh, character creation again. Ah, man, I missed it. It felt like a an old friend I haven't seen in a while. So, what do you guys? What kind of gaming you guys been up to this month? So, my gaming group has been playing a game that came out recently called The Crew: The Search for Planet Nine. It is a really, really interesting game that uses very basic, classic card game. Uh, mechanisms but puts it together in a really unique way um, that uh, like nothing I've really played before so the crew is a trick-taking game right in line with spades and hearts and euchre so if you're familiar with those you basically know exactly how to play the game so in those games you have a hand of cards that have different suits if you if it's your turn to play a card you lead and everybody else has to follow if they can so when you know if you lead a four of hearts somebody else would have to play a heart from their hand if they had it if they don't have it they can play something else and you you know whoever has the highest value um, of whatever value is led they win the trick they take it they lead another card and it continues going that way so what makes the crew really interesting is that it's cooperative uh, but you also can't communicate very well. You really can't communicate at all except for some very minor things here and there. And the game itself takes place over 50 missions. Each mission is designed to be like the next step of the travel on this ship to go find the ninth planet. So how long does and, it take uh, to go through all 50 missions? Well, um, we'll get to that. I have only gotten, I've played this with multiple groups and if I'm counting individual missions, I've played this game well over a hundred times. Oh. Um, and that's because <laughs> missions can be over very quickly. So how it works is you have a, a deck of cards that are, uh, four different suits or colors numbered one through nine. And there's a tiny deck, like a little deck of mini Euro sized cards that also have the same cards numbered one through nine of the four suits. So you flip over one of these cards for the first mission, for example, and let's say it has the green four on it. 
So I take that card and put it in front of me. And all that means is that in order for us to succeed at this single mission, I have to win the trick that has the green four. And as soon as I win that trick, the mission's over and we move on to the next mission. So if I needed the green four, I throw my nine, my green nine out. If I have it, you know, whoever at the table has the green four throws it in. I win the trick and then we move on to the next mission. So a mission could be over in a single trick. Uh, I mean, both win or lose. If I was unable to win the trick that had the four in it and somebody else took it, I can't get it anymore. Therefore, we lose. Um, And it gets progressively harder. So the first mission has one task you have to do. The second one has two and then three. And then the next one after that has three, but you have to do them in a specific order. The next one has five. You know, the next one has six and you have to do those in a specific order. There's other rules and things that go into it too, but... It is one of my favorite types of games, which is communi- uh, cooperative with very limited communication. And that's in the sense where every single card that is played tells you something about that person's hand. And you have to be super mindful of what people have played, what they haven't played, what you have, what the tasks are. And a single minor mistake anywhere in play can cause you to fail a mission. So I have only made it, I think the farthest we've gone is mission 20 like 24 or 25 and in that time to get there it's taken us 47 attempts to make it through the missions up to that point jeez uh and the fact that they get harder and harder as you go is going to make it i mean i can't imagine how long it's going to take for us to actually finish it but it is a solid game it was nominated for uh one of the major awards this year the spiel de jar um, and it might have actually won. I don't know. I'd have to look into it, but it's a great game and one that like basically everybody knows or, you know, most people know how to play one of those games, right? If you've ever played Hearts before, you could teach this game and start playing it in a matter of minutes. And uh, it's been a hit. It's good stuff. Fascinating. I feel hmm. like how much does this game cost? Oh, it's it's I mean, it's one deck of cards, a second smaller deck of cards and a few small tokens. I want to say I bought it for like 11 bucks. Wow. And we've, I mean, I've, I've, I mentioned that I've had like over a hundred missions that we've attempted thus far. And the deck of cards that it comes with is like, you know how everybody has like that old deck of cards or like at your grandparents' house, they have an old deck of cards that's like brown and black around the sides. Cause they're so dingy from yeah. using them for years and years. <laughs> right. I've only had this game for a few months and it's already like one of the worst condition decks that I've, I've ever owned. So this nice. is probably gonna be a game oh, I'm gonna have to buy. Yeah, probably have to buy multiple copies just to keep up with the the card condition. But no, it's a good one. And if you're a fan of trick taking cooperative games, it is. I cannot recommend it enough. Huh? Sounds pretty interesting, actually. Yeah. What about you, Nolan? What have you been up to? A game I've been playing actually with uh, some friends of mine that I just saw on the shelf one day and grabbed. It's called Role Player. So basically the game is, it's it's pretty Dungeons and Dragons. So like you have certain races, you know, humans, elves, uh, gnomes, dwarves and stuff. So you pick a, you pick a race and then you draw from a, a bag of dice. And whatever color dice you grab is the class you have. So if it's black, it's rogue. Red is warrior. Uh, green is like druid or ranger. And... Then you get a background card and an alignment card. And out throughout the game, basically you take so many dice, roll them, and then whatever number you get 
you put like on your character sheet trying to like match up certain colors and trying to get a certain amount to score points. So basically it's like a long game, but like you're making a character. Huh. It's like a dice management game because you have uh what is it? Strength, dex, uh, constitution, wisdom, intelligence, and charisma. And every time you put a dice in one of those slots, you can do like a special ability. Like if you put it in strength, you can take any dice and flip it. So if that's uh, one dice, you could flip that into a six if you need it. Or uh, wisdom, you can move like on the alignment tracks to get more points and stuff. It's a very quick game, kind of like how Matt, you were saying, you know, you pick a dice and then you put it in there. And while you're doing your ability, the person next to you can start taking their turn. So like, it's really kind of quick. It's really neat. I, I've played that game a couple times. Uh, a buddy of mine actually helped uh, edit the rules for it, so I, I've had a chance to play it a few times with him, too. That's uh, It's a really fun game. It's neat that the, basically the entirety of the game is just character creation. Like It's a game based on creating a character for a role-playing system. So by the mm-hmm. end, you have a character then that you know has unique talents and skills and attributes and you're trying to like you know like you said fit it into uh, a specific like alignment and things super fun game and i know they've put out a handful of other games that are in the same like world i guess there's Uh, one in a prison that's really really fun Mm -hmm. and then actually one of my favorite games of the last year i might have even talked about it on the show before is called cartographers Oh. And it's um, a roll and write or like a card flip and write game that's also based in the role player world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah card- choice, cartographer is on my list ever <laughs> since I saw it at Grand Con. Oh, yeah. uh, nice. Yeah. But I also did get the expansion for it, which was, what is it, Minions and Monsters, which the normal game, like, yeah, when you create your character, that's it. You roll up the points and that's game over. But at the end, you then fight the final monster. And uh, depending if you like killed some minions and stuff, you'll get like clues on how to defeat it. So you'll get like more combat dice. So basically, uh, somebody can do okay in the character creation and then take it away on the, the final boss. So I think it really does like expand the whole game in general. Fascinating. That. So I'm going to have to, I have a list of games to look up now. <laughs> yeah, just, just come to my house. We'll just play these games. That's yeah. <laughs> that probably has them all. <laughs> right. What about you, Steve? What have you been uh, up to? You know, Wolf Rup. Yep. Um, yep. Been in, uh, did some gaming here. Um, Canrod got to slay some bandits, lose his pants, <laughs> nearly got hit by a comet. I mean, what more could I ask for? <laughs> Man, the, the pants, I tell you, that is one of the greatest things. <laughs> Conrad, Wagner von Holz, and his pants. Just great stuff. Oh, man. I'm still trying to figure <laughs> out if we time. need to put a warning at the beginning of that episode when we release it. Um, <laughs> Explicit content. Yeah. Our novel is pantsless for most of the time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I've also I've played some Wolfrip as well, but... Uh, besides Wolfrup, I mean, people are probably tired of hearing me say this, but I'm playing uh, Final Fantasy four. And so, so the problem, so here's the reason you're going to hear it probably until the end of time is because every time I go to bed, I play it for like 10 minutes on my DS before I go to sleep. So I'm playing it 10 minutes at a time. So it's going to take a while. 
but uh, it's uh, it's it's a good one. Um, it's, it's a lot better than three. Three was all right, but four is got a much better story. So, other than that, I've also been I'll continuing to prep for a Star Trek Adventures game. I'm excited about that. Can't wait. Yeah, that's uh, that's coming. Yeah. All right, let's move on to the meat of the show, the main topic, and that is once again we're exploring careers in fourth edition. So uh, in this episode, we're doing The Spy and the Warden, both courtier class careers. And, you know, it, it's an interesting concept. And I think it's an interesting comparison to have these two. So we're going to discuss those two careers. And as we do at the end of the episode, we're going to have a little competition where the hosts are going to put their creative juices to the test and a career build off. And we can see who builds the most interesting character. We're going to put it on our Facebook and our Twitter accounts, um, you know, on our website. Uh, we'll have it on a few different places. Go check it out. Uh, we'll put links in uh, the episode and everything. Um, but uh, basically, you get to vote on who you think had the coolest character. So, uh, so old worlders, uh, be sure to take care of your lord's holdings and beware that not everyone is who they say they are. As we review the spy and the warden on tonight's show of the Old World Podcast. All right, before we get into that, let's talk about the vote from our last career episode, which was the one where we talked about the Agitator, the Bounty Hunter, and the Mystic. This was our uh, first ever tie, right? I believe so, at least tie for first. And that was between you, Lance, who had the Human Agitator, uh, help me out here, Tillman Tregich. I don't remember how you pronounce that last name. Yeah, dude, if you don't, I don't. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, you created the guy. Yeah, hey, hey, man, I just wrote the letters on the paper. <laughs> that's You know what? That's fair. Uh, so it's tied between you and Kyle. Kyle did the halfling bounty hunter Thelonious Lightfoot. To be, to be and, fair, uh, your character had the coolest name. Yeah, yeah, I thought so too. Ooh, yada yada, Moss Teller was uh, <laughs> beloved Wood Elf Mystic, but unfortunately did not garner enough votes. Oh well. <laughs> well, we'll have to have to just wait until next time, which is today. Today. <laughs> and uh, actually, why don't you start us off? We'll we're gonna dig in. We'll dig into the spy first. Yeah, so this is going to be a, a little different because instead of each of us doing our own career, we're going to two of us are going to focus on one, two of us are going to focus on the other. So today we're going to start off by talking about the spy, which can be found on page 75 of the core rulebook. And Lance already mentioned that these are both courtiers, and ironically, they're on opposite sides of the same page. So <laughs> That's right. <laughs> spy is on 75, and Warden is on 76, if you're following at home. So. To get started, the spy career is one that can be, uh, you could be any race in the game, including gnome. So plenty of flexibility depending on your play style or what you roll. The advanced scheme for this one, you start out with agility, willpower, and fellowship at tier one. Weapon skill comes in at tier two. Initiative at tier three. And finally, intelligence at tier four. So before we dig into the like skills and talents, kind of a description of this career would be you would consider a spy the same thing as you would like any other spy pretty much in any other game. There's nothing like super special here, like a slayer where you need to explain a bunch of lore in order to have like maybe someone new to war him or understand it. It's, it's basically you're infiltrating, you know, a group or, or, some, you know, you're sent to spy or get information on someone. So really in the old world, it's, it's no different than you would think in any other 
you know, place or time. Though I think it's interesting that the core rulebook does point out that, you know, if you caught as a spy, your death will not be quick. So moving on, taking a look at skills and talents. So tier one is the informer with the status of brass three. So you have skills, bribery, charm, cool, gamble, gossip, haggle, perception, and stealth, which gossip is your money-making skill here. And it's interesting. It's an interesting concept that that's where you make your money. It kind but of it makes sense, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, if you're if you're trying to go in and, and get information for uh, whomever, that's, you know, asking around is definitely going to be, be the way to do it. Right, right. And, and, and from we'll an get informer. get to the talents too, but. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, no. They for, it, it being an informer, well. right? You're you're not like quite the level of the spy. You're almost like the the you're the, the guy. In the, yeah, the, the, you're the lookout. I like that. <laughs> so, um, talents. Talents includes blather, right? Which uh, one of Matt's favorite? I know. And uh, carouse, um, carouser, with, carouser. Thank you. That's a. Yep. It gives you a bonus to consume alcohol test, and then gregarious, which is a bonus to gossip test. And yeah, gregarious is a big one. I feel yeah. for his career that gossip being as important as it is outside of it being the, your money-making uh, skill, being able to switch the die rolls. If it would mean a success is, is huge, invaluable. Yeah, I agree. And, and depending on, you know, how much skills you have in gossip that could make a, uh, it could make a very, very big impact on how successful you are on, on those tests. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, shadow you have, um, which is a which is a really cool, similar bonus, but it's when you're trailing someone, not being um, caught, which is really cool uh, concept. So, um, and then trappings, trappings is a charcoal stick, a sling bag containing two different sets of clothing, and a hooded cloak. Which, first off, as a, as a GM, you start off. Excuse me, you start off with this career. I'm going to ask you, great, what are those sets of clothing? Or or even oh, better, sure. make them random yeah. or something, right? Mm-hmm. Like a uh, dock worker or better yet, have the rest of your party come up with ideas that you have to pick from. Mm, okay, I like that. Yeah. Yeah, Steve, are you sure that Conrad wasn't a spy in a former life? <laughs> just just based on the, the various sets of clothing that he always has? <laughs> I think he wanted to be a spy, but he was uh, born in Noble. Oh, yeah. poor guy. Yeah. Hortberg Fetzmai. Torture gloves. <laughs> nice. So when you hit tier two, that's when you actually become a spy. A huge jump in status. Yes. And we'll see this if we continue yeah. here as well. You go from brass three up to silver three. That is a such a significant jump. <laughs> so big. Uh, yep. And here you've got the skills climb, entertain, act, intuition, melee basic, secret signs, any, and sleight of hand. Secret signs is a really interesting skill. And for it to me, it really seems more like it should be a talent than a skill. Yeah. So the the thing is, is there's a lot of different secret signs throughout the book, like depending on, you know, thieves and different sorts of things. So like I understand why they did it this way, but um the fact that you can choose any, I think, is super interesting because, honestly, I think it's more of a role play choice potentially at this point um, in your career than anything else. Because think about it. You could learn secret signs that, depending on what your GM has done, your GM could tease you with different secret signs 
or if you need to leave messages for other people, but only of a certain group, right? So, um, which as a spy would make sense. Right. Yeah. Well, what's interesting too is that knowing these secret signs, it might be for a specific specific person or specific group that you're trying to gather information on that once you've completed that, you may never need that secret sign again. So it does, it is interesting trying to, to line that up exactly with either the story or the character to where it would be something that would be beneficial later on in game. Right. I, I could definitely see that being as kind of like you're part of a group and you know, there's secret signs that we can communicate with your own group in different parts of, you know, of town or right. And that's a good point. So as a GM, this might be an opportunity for you to make sure the player is general enough with it. So secret sign thieves guild, that could come in handy in any city that you come in into. Right. Or, you know, something to that effect. Right. So along with those skills, the talents you get at this level are etiquette, any lip reading, read, write and secret identity. Which secret identity is one that mm -hmm. is super interesting, and that's yes. where um, you can really role play some things and really have some fun with it. So secret identity basically means that you uh, it involves entertain acting, which in this case entertain doesn't so much seem like, uh, or I'm sorry, entertain acting doesn't seem so much like entertainment as it does you playing your character, which is still acting obviously, but secret identity. Uh, not only boosts your entertaining act acting test, but it lets you basically take on the persona of somebody else, somebody that you have like a character almost that you've worked on. And every time that you take this talent, you can create another secret identity. It lets you um, like basically be in a different social status and not have any negative effects from social status. As long as you are dressed appropriately for the part. And this is definitely one of those, areas where the spy starts to come alive in my opinion yeah i like this because it's the it's the whole idea of the noble walks into the alley but a beggar walks out you know um mm -hmm. that mm. that whole concept and i have to say the talents at this at tier two so creating my character i literally like my concept so there there are a few times doing these character creation competitions that we do where I go, I need more XP. I need more XP. And this is one of them because all of the, like lip reading, man, I could see that come in handy so many times. Um, read, write is is key. Secret identity, like buying that more than one time seems like a no-brainer, especially if you're really committing to the spy career and don't plan on moving out. Um, man, just great talents. Oh, Absolutely. At this tier, you also get the trappings and informer, which is the level one um, tier on this career path. A hand weapon, a disguise kit, a ring of informers, and a telescope, which is interesting. A great way to spy. Yeah. Uh, I did find it a little odd that informer was on here and a ring of informers was on here yeah, as well. Like I thought that was a little weird too. And yeah. we've seen that in the past in a lot of careers where you need subordinates of some kind it you know to to continually go up that career but it also yeah you know it's been said before too that the trappings are more of a a guideline they're not required necessarily so if you you know it's essentially saying i in my interpretation is that you either need an informer or a ring of informers one or the other right mm -hmm. yeah but i do also kind of feel like it's a little 
I, and I could go back and check this, but it seems like you're required to have that, uh, um, informer like subordinate much faster usually i i feel like it we don't see that until you get to up to tier three but at tier two you're already starting to grow this um group or ring of spies it's really it's really quite interesting yeah and as a so as a gm i think i would be really loose and fast with this maybe going into tier three i would really expect some sort of clandestine operation but going into tier two like i can imagine several instances where meeting the letter of the law here you know for trappings doesn't make sense right um right so i mean i don't know you could you could argue james bond doesn't necessarily need to be an informer to be the spy that infiltrates the bad guys you know whatever so sure yeah all right, so moving on, Tier 3. Tier 3 is an agent, and we have our next giant jump from Silver 3 to Gold 2. And that jump is... that That's not the final jump either. We'll get to that in a minute. <laughs> Jeez, oh, beats. Um, so at this point, as an agent, you get uh, Animal Care Skill, Animal Training Pigeon, which is really cool. I love it. Yeah, Language <laughs> Any and Leadership. Um. And then uh, talents, you get access to attractive um, cat tongue, which cat tongue gives you bonus to when you're telling lies. Master of disguise. I, I wrote next to master of disguise. Wow. Um, no need for a disguise kit, basically. Yeah. Which is a great talent. Uh, mimic, which is you basically can match accents after being uh, exposed for a little while. Um, it's really interesting how these play together and that having master disguise, both master disguise and mimic. I mean, the, the floodgates open at that point. You could basically <laughs> like, if you're in a room with somebody for a few minutes, you could all but become them, you know, assuming that you fit certain criteria. Right. Uh, it's it really, I think would make it easy to, um, I feel like this is the, in just about anywhere. Right. I feel like this is the mission impossible level, right. Where right. you, you, come in and you like take the the guy out and then you take off your you know your butler clothes and put on your noble clothes and you literally yeah. walk out like talking and being that person with with right. the right talents man man see my my brain is just churning with ideas oh yeah like yeah once we hit the oh, sorry go ahead no i was gonna say like i'm just thinking uh wfrp oceans 11 <laughs> yeah <laughs> So um, trappings include a cartography book, a ring of spies and informers, a loft of homing pigeons, and a quill and ink. Can, can we just can we just stop there for a second? A loft of homing pigeons has got to be on the list for coolest trappings in this whole book. Yeah. <laughs> Release the pigeons. Yeah. And as I was going through here, seeing animal care and animal training, at first I was like for a spy like it didn't really make sense and then as soon as i saw pigeons it's like okay now it makes sense and that's really neat right yep so that was tier all right three. so that <laughs> was tier three tier four is the the cap on this one and the, at that point you're a spy master and your status then is gold four gold four like it, that has to be the highest jump from one from tier one to tier four from brass three up to gold four is incredible incredible and i don't think 
if correct me if I'm wrong, tier five, uh, gold five is the highest status in the book, isn't it? Uh, I seven, so. I think, is uh, for noble. Ah, uh, oh, tier wow. seven. Yeah, noble. That's right. But like, I don't think I think tier five, and then there is no tier six, and it's tier seven. I think you're right. Yeah, man. Uh, but on top of that, as a spy master, you would actually you actually make more than the top tier of a warden. Uh, the governor only is a gold three. That's yeah, awesome. True. Yeah. Well, and the yeah, exactly. So you your status at this point is is just about as high as it is you know you're going to find in this game, which reminds me of characters from different like pop culture things. Ones that really stand out are from Game of Thrones, and I don't know uh, if the rest of you. Uh, if the rest of the hosts here have watched Game of Thrones or not, but there are multiple examples of spy masters in and around Westeros that all have their, uh, they always talk about like their little birds, where their little birds are like children that go around and gather information for them and report back and getting that information. And they give them like a coin or a bit of food or some candy or something. And uh, yeah, so spy master is where at this point you have a, huge ring of spies and agents and informers that are you know you at this point are doing any of the actual espionage yourself you're sending out all of your your lackeys to do that for you yeah i i foresee this as the 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 young scion you know noble walks into the spy master's office is forced to wait you know because really this guy has higher status than you and you're trying to hire his services all right, so breakdown of the skills and talents. The skills in this one are lore any and research. Talents you can pick up at this one are briber, schemer, suave, and tower of memories, which is a really neat talent. Right. It immediately reminded me of Sherlock Holmes, how he has like that memory where he, you know, can place the memories that he's had into different little areas in his mind. Uh, I think he calls it his mind palace, which is essentially the same kind of concept. Right. And then pull those out when needed. And in this case, I love that the book even specifically talks about how beneficial it is to have that talent. If you're going to gamble, for example. Yeah. And, right. Uh, there's definitely a lot of uses for that. Yeah. I, I, uh, <laughs> I also love the schemer. The, the fact that you can essentially ask the GM a question and then the GM does a secret test and gives you information. That's just cool. <laughs> right. All right. The trappings at this level are office and staff, large spy ring of agents, spies, and informers. God, so, that's so cool. Yeah. yeah. But by that time, you would think, yeah, you have a network that stretches, you know, all of the Reichland, you know, right. or half of the empire by this time. Yeah. Multiple cities. And everything in between. Yeah, that would be that'd be a lot of fun. So, looking at the the advanced scheme and the skills on here, the you can boost fellowship right from the beginning. Although you don't, suave isn't an option for a talent until you get up to tier four. So that's not going to be something that will be able to help that too much. But your skills and the fact you can boost fellowship really uh, lets you lean into being a very social character. Yeah. Honestly, this this character is a face character the whole way through. Um, yeah, 
at tier two, you do get access to weapon skill and like melee. So, but I almost more think of this as a self-defense skill than you actually filling any sort of role in the party in combat. Um, and you could argue, so we sometimes talk about infiltrator and it's not a, a, like a role we talk about very often, but if you think of infiltrator in two ways, right, we tend to think of the sneaky ninja infiltrator, right? But there's also the infiltrate in plain sight because, you know, I have the latex mask and I look exactly like, you know, there's that portion. And when you look at that, like from tier two on, the spy could absolutely fill a role of like infiltrating a high level, you know, noble's ball or, you know, whatever the situation might be. So to some extent, I would say support as well. And this is pretty weak, but from the point of view of having gossip is like one of your main skills right off the bat, you could really be helpful to a party in getting information. Yep. That's a, that's a good way to look at it too. I think support of just about every career has, you know, is support in some way. Right. But, but having the gossip, having, you know, especially if you pick up gregarious as the talent, that's going to be super helpful anytime you travel to a new area or if you're looking for information. I think you're right on the Lance face, face character, social character all the way through. Mm-hmm. And even the fact that you get weapon skill as your tier two advance uh, uh, characteristic, it still doesn't. I mean, just because you can boost your weapon skill doesn't mean that you're a fighter because there's not, I don't believe there's a single talent that deals with no. combat. Nope. No, so, no, you one. can, and we've seen it in our actual play and and other you know times that we played this game. All you really need is a high weapon skill to just completely own in combat. But I feel like without those talents, I wouldn't I wouldn't really consider this character a fighter. No, and there are a lot of other things that come into combat that can really start to affect you: strength, toughness. Um, you know, those can really come into play with how many how right. much damage you can take, how much damage and you deal. deal. Yeah. yeah. And not, not having either of those in the event really, really is going to limit that. Right. Right. So I also see it's a uh, kind of strange. Uh, what is that? Uh, initiative is not until tier three and that dictates, you know, like when you go into turn order. Right. So you, if you get a low, you know, uh, initiative order, you know, that the you know, creature is going to be right on top of you. And what do you have to really be able to fend it off with? You know, you don't get weapon skill until tier two. So basically, right. yeah, you're caught. You basically got to just keep dodging. Yeah, you can't. <laughs> that's a man. That's a super good point. Cause um, you know, it, you don't have a chance to earn a ton of advantage if that Vargoth is in your face on turn one. So, yep, exactly. And even more so than that, as a courtier, you only start with a dagger. You don't start right. with a hand weapon, and it's mm-hmm. not a trapping even until tier two. Um, so with brass three being your initial uh, status level, you're going to be using improvised weapons or a dagger in combat. So, yeah, yep. fighting, you want to avoid that at all costs. Right. So how might you fit this career into an established adventuring party? So, like, what kind of story hooks? What'd you guys come up with? So one that stuck out to me would be that either the party or a the NPC that gives missions or whatever to the party um, hires the spy 
to go along with them to gather information as we're going on a, a mission or a quest only to then have the uh, spy end up joining the party that way. And that'd be a way to like, I feel introduce them without having a whole lot of uh, distrust, which is always uh, can be a hindrance. Right. Mm-hmm. One idea I had is you could join the party because this is your way to travel to a certain destination you need to get to incognito, right? Depending sure. on what the party is. Um, or honestly, you could have been a spy that was caught and you're just trying to get out of Dodge and traveling with an adventure party is safer than a lot of other forms of travel. Yeah, I was also thinking it'd be possible to have the your party have an interaction with either a higher ranking or lower ranking spy in their hierarchy. You know, yeah. you could have it, have a relationship with an informer in town whose master is the spy that would, you know, join your party for some reason or vice versa. You know, if you, if you know a, a spy or if you have a communication with a spy in an area and they're like, Hey, I'm going to send you with this informer that I know who's going to uh, join you on your mission. That'd be another way to introduce a new character into the party that would make sense within the world or you could do it at adventure base too right like i mean have your story start off as oceans 11 or you know mission impossible the spy is one piece of the puzzle where maybe your other members right you could have a lot of need for a spy and an engineer and uh, depending on what the situation is you know Mm-hmm. Let me tell you, I would be so much fun to role play like a big multi-tier heist right. where each member of the party has their own important, you know, duty they have to do. They have this one task, you know, you're sitting in the coach as the getaway driver. You've got to distract the guards. You've got to do this. That would be a lot of fun. Yeah. Yep. All right. So advancing into other careers. So what are options with like good and bad synergy? So I think one that really stands out as far as bad synergy goes is pretty much any warrior career. Um, anything that needs a boost to strength and toughness because you're not going to have those um, to start with this career. Also, magic users, you do get intelligence as something you can boost, but not until tier four. And that is, by that time, you're not going to be, you know, that, that's pretty late game to start worrying about casting spells. So, you know, and, and I agree with you. However, I think there might be an exception here, and that's the Mystic. The Mystic, because of our other show oh, on sure. it, right? It's a very fellowship-based magic sort of career. And I, I know it's not true, like a true magic career, but I feel like it could work well. Like, if you think of the spy that might have, you know, occult leanings and be able to, like, maybe read the future, do different, man, like there's some cool stuff you might be able to do with that care, that career combination. With the combination of talents that you can get in this career, you could really go just about anywhere. I still feel like any combat Mm -hmm. heavy career isn't, isn't going to mesh quite as well, but outside of those, just about anything else you can have, have social talents that are going to really help. And I mean, you could you could add Master of Disguise and Mimic and throw that in anywhere, and it's going to be a good time. Right. I think there are a lot of cool role-playing opportunities in the career combinations, too. Um, but, like, from a pure... Before I get to that, one other thing I want to say. Any kind of infiltrator career could be a huge bonus to you, too. So, like, if you're thinking, like, a thief or a scout or an investigator, those careers can kind of help you right where you infiltrate as somebody in the party versus the ninja in the background trailing someone right 
your the spy doesn't have a ton of talents that really are about stealth, the stealth skill. They have a few, but not a lot. But combining that with like an you know a thief or something like that could really bonus give you bonus to this same sort of concept. Good stuff. All right. So what what type of player do you think would enjoy playing this career? So obviously you need somebody that doesn't mind being the face character. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Somebody that doesn't necessarily want or need have the need to go beat everybody down with a sword. Right. Yep. Cause that's, that's, uh, you know, as we've said, that's not going to be something you're going to do a lot of. Right. I, I feel like somebody who could manage multiple personas is going to yeah. be super important. Yeah. Here. Yeah. Or maybe not super important necessarily. You know, you could role play however you want, but I feel like that would really add to it. Being I agree. able to jump from this character to this character and, and have it flow and have it, have it play well in the same way. I feel like experienced role players, which is kind of a, that's a pretty broad, you know, broad stroke, Mm -hmm. but this wouldn't be one that I think people would necessarily excel with if they weren't comfortable with the idea of like role playing and, and being somebody else instead of, uh, you know, just, just playing as themselves. Right. right. And also being put on the spot too, you know, because mm-hmm. if you're a spy, yeah. you might be thrown to those positions. Like, can you think on your feet quick, you know, to yep. for the situation that your GM just threw your way. Cause you're a spy and you're <laughs> right. Exactly. Right. Yeah. High stress situations be, you know, being forced into being deceitful. Right. Those are things that don't always mesh well with folks. So yeah, those are, those are some that I feel. Awesome. So final thoughts, everybody. Uh, I like it. You know, the spy, you know, like we said, it's the face character, you know, not really going to be frontline fighting, but it is kind of cool to, you know, be the background, you know, like, okay, I'm going to sneak off to the here and maybe find some infiltration options into this big castle we got to do. So that kind of role playing is, I think would be kind of fun for people. I I definitely like the advanced scheme. I think um, starting out with fellowship, and weapon skill, I, I definitely think initiative should have been in there sooner, but I do like what they did with that. And you have access to some really useful social talents from an, from the very beginning. So that's that's one thing that's always super helpful. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I think it's a, it's a fellowship-based character all along, but it's very different from the fellowship characters we've already talked about, right? And because it's, it's all about essentially being someone that you're not and and using that fellowship um you know you're not fast talking or trying to get a group of people riled up while you might be able to do those things your bread and butter is is essentially appearing to be somebody that you're not and then using your fellowship skills to the to the you know in entertainment skills and all of that there's a lot of opportunity here um and if if you are into that sort of thing the the mission impossible or, you know, any of that kind of cool stuff. Um, this could be a really fun career. Yeah. One thing we didn't touch on and we'll, I'll just jump back to this real quick is how important cool is as a skill. Oh it's yeah. When you get in tier one and really you're going to be in super high stress situations. So being cool and being calm and collected is going to be really crucial for this career. Yeah. No, nope, Lance, you're, you're we, true. When we were talking before, you brought up something that I really liked about the ta- uh, trappings and how, like, I think you and I both agree that the trappings for this career do leave a little bit to be desired. 
But you had some neat ideas. Oh, yeah. So one trapping, I thought, man, so you have so many good talents, like, uh, trappings, like with the uh, uh, the Slayer, for example, sh- a shame is one of one of its, uh, you know, trappings. I think like a cool trapping at tier two with this would be like um, a powerful secret or what was something mm. you had said? Something about blackmail, right? Like, yeah. Yep. Like some profound blackmail at you know making that jump from like agent to spy master are you going to be able to get to that point without having some serious information on somebody right and that's that's more of a one of those really unique trappings that isn't a a line item in the uh consumer's guide in the pack of the book that's something that you got to really think about similar to shame with a uh, a slayer yeah that that seems like that would be would have been really neat good stuff it was a good career all right, Nolan and Steve, let's hear about the Warden. All right, the Warden. So to be a Warden, you can be any race or an, uh, race except Wood Elf. So you can be a gnome for a, uh, to be a Warden, which I thought was actually quite funny that a oh, gnome can be a Warden. But, uh, <laughs> but I guess before we really get into it, uh, what's a Warden? And I guess the Warhammer terms... A warden is, I guess, if we want to think like from Lord of the Rings, the stewards. It's a warden is basically somebody that is in charge of a baron or a town or something that's being overseen when the main guy, the liege, is away at somewhere else. So you're basically babysitting an area. Yeah, I, I just use the words property manager. It seems like a simple way. And you mentioned a gnome and that it it didn't like immediately fit as a warden. Uh, We need to remember back to one of the greatest characters ever made, which was my gnome bailiff. And (laughs) hey, gnomes, uh, they can can be badass too. Oh, I remember the bailiff. And that's why I immediately thought that they don't belong. (laughs) Wow. Yeah, that's right. My soul, what you just said. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the soul got affected. Um. Um, so for the, the Warden Advanced Scheme, at first level for Custodian, you get Strength, Toughness, and Willpower, which I thought was kind of an interesting, you know, beginning three. Uh, and then at second level, you'll get uh, weapons, the Weapon Score. Third level, you get uh, Fellowship, and at the last level you get intelligence. So no initiative, no agility, no dexterity, and no ballistic. I thought this scheme uh, actually made the most sense because like strength, toughness for level one, you're just pretty much a custodian. You're Mm -hmm. sweeping, you're lugging stuff around. You got the willpower to take orders, you know, and kind of go through that. Um, Tier two, um, definitely you actually are a warden at that point. Uh, you got some weapon skills, I guess, because, you know, you're over, over and around. You might actually have to take care of kind of like a wilderness estate, like you're hunting sure. estate. I, I really like um, that way of that you described it there, that it's not mm. always you're not always fighting, uh, you know, the a gang of thieves or bandits or goblins. Sometimes you're just out if you're managing a property and some right. wolves come on the property or, or some other creature, you might have to take care of them. Not my Warhammer. There's always goblins <laughs> everywhere. Right. Um, Tier three is fellowship, which is making sense because you're dealing with more and more people as you go up in the ranks. And governor, uh, I kind of 
gave a chuckle because intelligence is finally at the last level to cover <laughs> yeah. uh, what you got going on. So, <laughs> so mm-hmm. that made a lot of sense overall. But uh, for the money wise, I mean, you start at silver one, you know, a spy, you might, you start at brass three. So it's definitely, you know, the, you know, you do make more starting over um, as a custodian, I guess that you could say. Um, and you go all the way to gold three, which is huge, not as much as a spy master, but I mean, spy master is way above and beyond cool. And governor, you kind of just, you give the orders for the estate. Mm-hmm. Like that, you're like the kind of the main honcho. Like at custodian, you might be doing some hunting lodge the liege owns, but at governor, you're taking care of a barony. Exactly. Exactly. So in a lot of ways, Hortberg is kind of like a warden, right? Like he takes care of the manor when the family's away. Yeah, I like, it. yeah yep. I like it. Yeah, like it. And wait, he doesn't get paid silver three. No, 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 no. That's what a normal warden gets. That's not how it works in the Von Holes family. We use stocks and shares. (laughs) (laughs) It bounces the portfolio. Um, All right. So uh, for the custodian, your skills are athletics, charm animal, consume alcohol, cool, endurance, intuition, lore local, and perception and perception will be your money making skill it is awesome i like all those skills at the level one mm-hmm. I, I one thing i wanted to point out that is fascinating is that your money making skill is based on initiative which is something you never can increase in this career yeah i always thought yeah. that um beginning that willpower would be any skill with willpower would be their money maker maybe like uh well, I mean, I ge- I geared my character toward like more cool, you know, to overcome being intimidated, charm, um, like get out of fear test things like that. Any- anyways, I'm going on and on, but <laughs> I think cool is pretty important to ha- have there at level one. Yeah, that I like. I said that is kind of weird that like perception, but you can never really increase the attribute, but. I guess it's uh, probably not the weirdest thing that we've seen, too. And uh, for talents, you get menacing, night vision, sharp, and strike to stun. I was about to say, for the talents, I was surprised by the menacing at first. Um, Night vision, sharp, strike to stun, yeah, but menacing was a surprise. Yeah, especially when you think about both your status and just your title even, right? It doesn't bring with it like a custodian doesn't bring with it the same kind of uh fear or i could see that later on right exactly yeah yeah menacing does out of all those is the one that feels a little out of place all right and then at uh tier two we're a warden at silver three and skills we got animal care melee basic outdoor survival ranged bow ride horse and swim so like you were saying, Steve, you know, with Melee Basic and all that, like now where I got to take care of some bandits or maybe there's a lone beastman that's been, you know, spotted or something. We got to go take care of it. So at a warden, you're a little bit more. I wouldn't say Melee focused because this whole career is not will not also be doing anything frontline fighting too well. I definitely agree. You know, if there is a chance to actually start getting your weapon skill up, it's going to be, you got, you got to wait till the tier three for sure. 
that, mm -hmm. that's the only time you can start start to in input into it. And then for talents, we have Animal Affinity, Etiquette Servants, Strider, Any, and Rover. Which I think it's it's fascinating. This tier is almost somewhat rural focused, right? It's it's yes. more of the estate, oh, absolutely. you mm -hmm. know, than the manor kind of at this point. Yep. yep. Out outdoor survival, ride horse, animal affinity, strider, rover. They all are tying into you not only being outside and in a rural setting, but also being to, able to traverse difficult terrain quickly. Yes. And uh yeah. And uh, the rovers, it, it, interesting because, you know, you know, besides the spy and the warden kind of being on the same page, you know, b back to front, uh, it, it's interesting with the rover because it's stealth and roar environment. Um, the people trying to see you do not get a passive perception test to detect you. Like literally, unless they're on like watch or they're trying to find you initially, they can't roll for it. So right. you can remain hidden, which mm -hmm. is nice. Yeah. And then, yeah, if you took Strider urban or something you could easily get through a city right yep and then for trappings we have a hand weapon or bow with 10 arrows a riding horse with saddle and harness and the leather jack plays well you know you can choose are you the hand weapon type of guy or do you want range riding a horse is different um no it says the trappings you actually get a riding horse that's expensive Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Very oh, yeah. expensive. I mean, that's that elevates you up a good, <laughs> good tier. Besides the silver three, of course. I mean, you're pampered by now, but yet you're still. <laughs> it's it's just an interesting tier because it's focused on rural, rural, but your silver three, and all the skills and everything kind of pertains to being outdoors, and being amongst you know the land. Also, I know like we have ranged bow for skills. But remember, we don't get to increase ballistic skill at all. Right. True. So, like, you could be putting a lot of effort into that if you wanted a bow for your trapping instead of a hand weapon. Right. And in the same sense as with the spy, just because you have ranged bow, you still don't have any access to some of those amazing talents that can make you a, a sure shot like uh, um, marksman and bounty hunter. Yeah, exactly. Pretty much, yeah. yeah, a bunch of the stuff that was in there. Seneschal, you are at gold one. You've made it to the gold team. You are part of the club. Um, skills you start off with or that you can get, uh, bribery, charm, gossip, leadership, all very, very handy, especially if what you do is talk. Uh, talents, you get embezzle, numismatics, Read or write. I'm surprised you could read or write at tier three. <laughs> right. And supportive. Um, so with the embezzle, you're skilled at skimming money from your employer. And so you could kind of make some extra cash there. Um, numismatics, uh, you're well versed with different coinage. So you can tell their value. Um, supportive. This is interesting because if you're kind of like a want to become a warden that kind of plots and takes over, uh, being supportive or, or just kind of want to be on the good side of your higher up Lord. Um, you supportive means you know what to say and when, and basically mm -hmm. when you succeed for higher status tier roles, um, you, you get extra success levels, or you can use like the, the numbers digit uh, for the success level. So if you rolled like a 46, you could technically choose six levels of success. So it's really handy. It could be those critical moments where you need to talk with your Duke to make a decision and bam, you get it. I think 
I think this is fascinating because it's people with a higher status of you. And at tier three, you're at gold one. So there's not a ton of people that are going to be at a higher status of you, though. I suppose right. if you you huff it like Conrad, you'll you'll be dropping status levels soon enough. So, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I also love it how it says actually in the title for people higher tier than you. So you can't even you can't use this for somebody the same or lower. Right. And therefore, you pretty much your lord or baron. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I found this one to be kind of interesting. This is where it takes a turn from just being um, maybe a little one note as far as like being in rural areas and, and having those skills and talents. Embezzle and bribery, you start to see like a little bit of a darker side that can come in here. And I was actually almost a little surprised that criminal wasn't on there. That once you, I mean, once you start looking at embezzling money, which has some really neat um, actual uh, mechanics of how that talent works. Yeah, the embezzled talent is legit. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And you can, it's, I was surprised actually reading through it. So by taking a test, you can skim 2d10 um, plus success level brass pennies, 1d10 plus success level silver shillings, or 1 plus success level gold crowns depending on like what business or who you're trying to embezzle from being able to skim gold crowns is crazy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. But, but there's a, there's a penalty for like getting caught too. Oh yeah. 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 It's like a criminal. If, <laughs> if the person you're skimming from wins an opposed um, intelligence test with six success levels, which would be tricky. I mean, you'd, you'd basically, they'd have to have a great role. You'd have to have a terrible mm -hmm. role by then for them to win by six success levels but yeah so you uh you gain the money but your embezzling is detected what happens is left to the gm if it was our gm it'd be rough <laughs> yep what do you uh, say <laughs> <laughs> for the trapping that tier three you get a breastplate ceremonial staff of office uh, staff of wardens and custodians you know i just want to back up here and say as a GM, I'm generous. I'm generous with what I allow you to do, and I'm generous when I punish. It's sorry. It goes both ways. It goes both ways. It works out. <laughs> so sorry. <laughs> at, at tier four, you are a governor. You are gold three, which is that's a ton of money. Um, not too many skills at this point here. Um, there's evaluate and language any. I guess depending on where you are a warden of or a governor of, it might be nice to learn the language of the neighboring uh, empire or barony or wherever you're at. Um, for talents, get commanding presence, etiquette any, savant, local, and suave that you can choose from. Now, the commanding presence, is per pretty much you're, you're at the point now where common folk uh, rarely stand against you. You fill others with hush, awe, and admiration. Um, it's it's pretty much you can talk to people and kind of get them to hush down or do what you want. Um, as far as the savant local, I believe that is per, I think, your success level. I think you get to know certain things about certain places, like pure facts that it, you can use. Yeah. So this is it's basically like a free, well, not a free, but to your GM, it's like, what do I know of this? To where a test is even necessary, better. you just know something based on your level in that. 
Yeah, I think yep. so. There's you know a similar where you can get free information in the, in the spy, right? This is a similar thing, a little bit different, but I mean, I don't think people realize how incredibly powerful like quote unquote free information talents could be. Um, I can think of several times in our game where if somebody had had this talent, things could have gone very differently. Right. Sure. And of course, uh, the swab is just, I believe that is just plus five. Was it plus five? Fellowship. 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 So that's kind of, you know, when you get to governor, really, I I think you get the commanding presence that you get to know more. Um, You can evaluate things better. But overall, I just think you get a lot more money and basically the title to do pretty much whatever you want to. Um, as a you know, unless the duke or lord, whoever you you warden for, tells you otherwise. Mm-hmm. And trappings, you get an aid, which that's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Take a note. <laughs> uh, governor's residence. Hmm, that sounds uh, extravagant. And a servant. I wrote a Heinrich. There we go. Exactly. <laughs> <Yeah>. Nice. <laughs> Well, you, you mentioned that uh, Hortberg almost fits in as a warden. I'm pretty sure I'm going to roll up a character for Heinrich or for uh, Hortberg just so we have him. Cool. <laughs> nice. <laughs> um, but as you were saying with Suave, it's a plus five to fellowship. Like, remember, those don't count for advances. So by the time you get to government, governor, uh, it's what? It would be 100 experience to take Suave. By that time, it might cost almost that amount just to get one advance. So it is kind of nice, like, you know, a good payoff, but it is also one of those that's, I don't know. It is a little weird how we're getting that kind of late. You make a great point and a great case for not taking suave right away when you're able, because you can, you know, get those advances early when you're only spending, you know, 25 Per point or 30 per point but yeah once you get up there and you know you're gonna get fellowship in tier three to where you can start boosting it as a warden i mean you could have it a pretty darn high and then only 100 experience to get you five additional points on that that's that's legit mm-hmm. right. so what roles do we think that this career can fill i've been looking forward party? to this discussion all day Ooh. so tier one i say the primary roles for tier one uh, pretty much you're a laborer. <laughs> I mean, you have some other things you can do, uh, charm animal, things like that, where you might not be attacked so quick. Uh, a lot of perception, a lot of kind of you keeping your head down, sweeping, but yet you're hearing what's going on. You can hear what your Duke's saying, things like that. So perception. And yet you could be really useful, like night vision. You could be that guy that has it as opposed to your group. I mean, you really need... I mean, I know halflings have it, you know, dwarves can get it, elves, of course, but for like pretty much custodian? everyone except humans can has yeah, access exactly, to night exactly. vision. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, just to have that at the start, yeah, that's helpful. Yeah, but I think I think you, you're kind of nailing it, though, that there's really not a great one that really stands out. I feel like support is probably the best, but the the talents aren't really cohesive at this point. I uh, agree. Night vision is certainly helpful. Mm. Obviously, you can pick up sharp, which will boost your perception, which will boost your night vision. But the ability to see at night isn't something you can really plan a, a whole adventure around or a whole career around necessarily. 
I beg to differ. No, yeah, I was going to say. Um, so I'm, I'm sure. I here's here's the here's the thing. I I honestly think tier one, the custodian, is is perhaps the least definable role, like way to fill a role out of this all the careers we've done so far. Um, I, I agree with you, Matt, that you could argue it's support, but it's it's essentially. You, you have a smattering of everything for careers or for skills and none of your skills like truly build upon your willpower, strength and toughness in a way that gives you a specific role you can fill. Um, I mean, you could go a lot of different ways from this. I, I, I hesitate to use the word like jack of all trades, but honestly, I don't. So I feel like the custodian gives you access to a lot of good stuff. But this is one of those careers where figure out what you want, grab it, and then move on, in, yeah, in my opinion. For sure. yeah, exactly. Because I feel <laughs> like the warden really starts to fill out in Tier 2, and especially in Tier 3 and 4. Yeah, I definitely agree. Getting to warden is a pretty should be a pretty quick goal, because then from there you can really take take off. And like, just what we were saying, like getting the warden, I mean, keys, let, like, like, that's what you start off with. I always looked at Custodian as, like, I'm trying to remember what, like, the actual, like, real-world name was. But it was, like, the noblemen, but that were still the lower class. Like, that's how I look at the Custodians. Like, they're noble-born, but they're considered the lowest of the low. Like, that's how I look at Custodians. Yeah, the... the... And and then in that so it makes it hard to fill a specific role, right? Because you're kind of mm-hmm. jack of all trades. And I think at tier two, it's more of the same. Like, yeah, you can sort of fill a fighter. You can, but your support becomes a lot more. Again, if you're in a rural era, we already talked about this. The fact that you can move around, you know, you have a lot of talents and skills that can help the party if you're in a rural situation. So maybe a stronger support. Yeah, you get access to ballistic, you're not ballistic skill, but you get to a bow and a sword. And so you can do a little bit of fighting. But again, none of your talents support it. So tier two, honestly, here's how I view it. Tier one and tier two give you access to a gigantic range of skills and talents that could be helpful in a lot of situations. And then tier three and four is when you can really lock down into more of a face character plus whatever you built previously. Like you could build a very good support character, especially in a rural setting by that time. But you know, that's, that's my thought. It's, it's so hard to define this one. There's not, this is kind of like the, the most overall rounded character as opposed to like, he can fight, but he's not made for a fighter. Um, at this point, he's not even made to really talk much. It's, it's more like you were a custodian for three years. Hey, you've elevated. We'll give you a dagger and this <laughs> horse to ride around and protect the land now because we trust you more type of deal. And then, of course, I think tier three is when you really, really can really take off with what how you want to play this role. Um, tier three, oh, the roles, the roles. I mean, you could be the briber embezzler. To slowly try to take over, you know, the top spot. <laughs> <laughs> or this is a point where I think your role in the group might be like the talker. Right. You can talk. Yeah. Leadership, gossip, charm, bribery, 
you know, he's a guy that, hey, you think we can bribe this guard to get into this, you know, this town or pass this checkpoint? That's a guy. Right. So you, if here's honestly the way you could define this career, right? Like is and we've we've gone back and forth on this, but like custodian is the guy that takes care of the hunting lodge, right? But warden is a guy that takes care of the hunting lodge plus the, you know, 10,000 acres of land that belong to the, you know, the lord that and you're in charge of making sure that you're, you know, the lord's deer isn't poached in addition to everything else that goes on there, right? And then the central like it kind of moves up, right? Like whereas and we end up at the governor like you said earlier, Steve, you know, the the lord is away, you're in charge of the city or the town, right? You know, whatever it might be. So I think the and that's one of the reasons why these skills and talents are so much kind of all over the place because there's you can fill a lot of roles but there's not a primary role that you can really stick into until like like i said like you said tier three and four you get a lot more into the face character where you can be strong there yep. mm-hmm. so i think we've covered the roles here it's pretty much a very supportive role right um, and yeah. definitely once you get further on he can do more talking and kind of do more things uh, bribing charming gossiping leadership but until then um he's that average guy <laughs> and depending on how much how many characteristic points you put into strength and toughness he might be like your shield guy he's right. the one with like 14 15 wounds um that maybe he might take the brunt absolutely yep so how might right, you fit so, this career into an established adventuring party? Like what kind of story hook ideas? Story hook ideas. Maybe um, maybe not to enter the group permanently, but maybe the group goes to um, somewhere where this character is a warden and maybe their boss or duke or baron has died and now he joins the group for a little bit to maybe uncover what happened. Could slide him in that route. That's kind of what I was thinking too. Yeah, if they're if the person like the property owner that he worked for, he or she worked for, would uh, either have been killed or died through other means, and then they don't, you know, they don't gain ownership of that property, or or if they decided to sell the property, or um, or it was destroyed, if they, you know, if there was a fire or something that destroyed the land or a big portion of the land, and they're not needed anymore, they're kind of like cast out. That would be a way I think they could they could justifiably join a party. Or the general, maybe there was a small bandit of, or a small group of bandits in the woods of the ten thousand acres that Lance mentioned. Yeah, and he needs help, and he mm-hmm. joins. He's got he's got his bow, his horse, and he wants you to join because he's paying you to help root them out. Yeah, like I I actually heard a really good um, campaign concept, um, which is kind of open, more sandboxy, on Mud and Blood that I've always really liked, and it's the concept of. Your lord just obtained a new section of land that wasn't ever taken care of, and it has a few villages and different stuff on it, right? So you, the lord sends their warden, and whoever else the lord determines is needed, maybe a soldier for protection or whatever, this ragbag, to go. I want you to go survey the land, find out the problems, solve the issues, and this province or whatever section of land better start making me money by winter you know, or whatever. And so you, something like that could be a whole campaign built off of, you know, and the warden is a key piece of it because that's the person in that's like nominally in charge, but is the go between between the Lord and the, 
you know, the entire group. All right. So what about advancing into other careers? Anything with good or bad? I, I have an opinion on this. I'm, I'm curious to hear what you guys think. Good or bad synergy? Um, good synergy. I mean, if you want to keep on advancing skills, maybe you start off as a warden and maybe honestly go to spy. Um, yeah. Just to pick up on an extra skill. Spy and warden would go work <laughs> great together. They really would. Honestly, so the, this is such a jack of all trades. I, I almost think almost anything could go really yeah. well uh, with the warden. Uh, you have some weaknesses, like in maybe not a range. Something that's very specific to range might not help you. Mm-hmm. But depending on your setting, if you're a range person that's going to be in a rural setting, there's a lot of good things a warden could bring to the table. Um, exactly. You know, even like a heavy combat career, well, you still have access to strength, toughness, and weapon skill. Like, so you can build those up and build a lot of additional skills before you move into that. So it's, man, again, I don't think if if you want a good base of a character, you want to build up a lot of random stuff before you move on to something more specific, this isn't the worst. Even a magic career, you have access to willpower right off the top, right at the beginning. Look at Lynn in our game, right? So she is pretty nasty with a bow. Even though she's a wizard, that you know, but man, having some time to build up some of those skills in other areas could be very beneficial. Yeah, absolutely. And I would suggest getting to tier two, getting what you want, then you can bounce off to anything else. Because, like you said, it's an all-around character. You really do get like a plethora of skills to just use in daily um, foraging, being outside camping um just as your party treks through there's a lot of skills that they have that they pick up that will help yeah even getting like you said some of the the outdoors kind of um talents and things but the um at tier two getting the riding horse and saddle with harness and the skills and some talent go along with it that you know you said getting up to tier two getting what you need and then going elsewhere definitely seems like a, a reasonable option for this career Absolutely. And, and depending, most campaigns aren't so centered in one area that moving on to like a central or governor would make a lot of sense for your career anyway. But right, you, it all Yeah, depends. it really wouldn't. But if you could somehow get to Seneschal and get supportive, like, and if you somehow got into a lower career, like yes. that supported could really help you in the long run. Yeah, it really could. Yeah, you could. I mean, get supportive well, and then go to beggar, baby. Yeah. <laughs> I, well, yeah, I was going to say, uh, well, you could be a dwarf warden or get you could uh, go to spy. supportive. What was that? You could or go spy, to spy. Yeah. <laughs> supportive uh, with spy. That would be actually kind of cool. Yeah, that would be really good. That is a, yeah, that is a really neat talent, but I feel like sticking out in a career up to tier three just for a single talent is uh that's some commitment yeah yeah i mean well that's the only thing i can really think of that would be worth it i mean yes embezzle would be good and numismatic read write you know a lot of other careers can get that but breastplate and all the other trappings for a tier three are going to be hard to come by absolutely so what type of player would most enjoy this career this is another real tricky question because yep. no, nothing really jumps out again. We, we, this doesn't have like a really defined way of role-playing the way that others do. Yeah. So 
And and here's the thing too, like listeners, let us know if if you if you're like guys, you are missing the obvious role that the warden should be doing at tier one and two. Let us know because we're struggling to see it right. We're we're saying jack of all trades, but I'm honestly I'm gonna double down on that right now, right? What type of player is most going to enjoy this career? Somebody that doesn't have a specific role in mind, right? You have players that like, well, would do you want to be the tank? Do you want to like you? If you don't think that way, and you're like, look, man, I just want to role play, and and mm-hmm. have a smattering of everything. Is somebody that mm-hmm. like can't decide, right? Because we've talked about it before. If you have a wizard and you're just kind of buying random stuff and not focus at all, that eventually is going to bite you in the butt, right? And in a lot of other ways too, like the warriors' careers and things like that. But if you're if you're just like I don't know what I want to do, this isn't a bad career to just get a smattering of decent skills and some fun talents. Um, but it, it's probably not a good career for somebody that has an idea of what they want to do with their character. And especially like, let's say they want to be a face character. Well, sure. You can be a face character, but not till tier three, probably a better career out there for you to start with. So Mm -hmm. that's my, my thoughts on it. Good stuff. Yeah. Yeah. My final thoughts on the warden. It's pretty much, Almost like what Lance said here, pretty much this is, if you don't know what you're doing here, this gives you general overall common skills that will be useful forever for your character. Um, so it's definitely, there's not a lot of waste. I mean, by tier two, you can increase your weapon skill for, you know, for fighting, um, animal care, melee basic, outdoor survival, range bow, you get that, ride horse, you get that, swim. It's just, you know, if you're planning, yeah, it's just all around. It's, it's just nice. And then, of course, by that time, you pretty much will probably know what you want to do. And those skills will help whatever other career you choose as you move on. Yeah, getting started and boosting up your strength and toughness is another a great way to utilize this, this career. Yeah. Yeah, those two do help. And before I even came on here, I was saying, like, all right, it's a face character, you know, through and through. But after going through it with you guys, like, well... You know, you don't have to wait till tier three, uh, Seneschal, to get fellowship. And some of these talents, while yes, are good for a face character. You know, it's not a full face character like some other ones would be. So, honestly, yeah, I'm gonna have to pull back a little bit and be like, it's basically a jack of all trades. Yeah, that's my that's my take on it. And it's not a bad career. It's just hard to nail down. That's that's how I feel can't wait till we do the soldier like there's gonna be no no question there right (laughs) yeah all right anyone else have any final thoughts on the warden yeah this this isn't one that really uh, i don't think appeals to me i like when role-playing being able to to pick something that's really like unique and outside of the kind of humdrum day-to-day kind of character that i feel like the uh, warden kind of falls into so I don't know if this would be one for me necessarily, but I do see how it could be a pretty solid uh, jumping off point. I actually, I, I think it's an awesome, I think it's an awesome career. I could see myself like, I don't know. Part of this career is about the role play aspect, right? And, and the right. role that you have. Basically what you guys are saying, if, if you're not maybe a real into role playing, uh, 
a warden may not be your career. Like, I can see, like, I mean, starting off at Silver 1 is very nice. Silver 3, you know, if you could push to Tier 3 and get a Gold 1, you know, that's very nice. But, but yeah, I would probably get my money, get my talents, and then get to any other uh, career. Right. Like, I don't think I would... I may not even go into tier two. I think I might just do custodian and bounce out. Not a bad call. Yeah. Fair enough. That's uh, one of the real, I think beautiful parts to this system is that you can do things like that. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing too, right? Depending on how you roll up your initial stats in the game too, you could potentially be a little more into a specific role just by your initial stats in, in using this to get skills. So, I mean, we're, we're essentially talking like 10 different ways to try to take a Jack of all trades and force it into a role. It's yeah, I think it's a Mm -hmm. good career. I, it might not be for everyone, but um, (laughs) it's, it's definitely a great stepping off point no matter what. So, all right, so let's let's do this build off. All right, now that our review is complete, we're going to put our creative juices to the test with a build off. We, your hosts, have taken one of the three. Oops, sorry. Yeah, my bad. Hey, you don't need to apologize. That's all on me. <laughs> that's that's <laughs> on me. Yep. <laughs> I was like three. Is like wait, what was the third one? <laughs> um, all right. <clears throat> We, your hosts, have taken one of the two careers we just described and have made a character in the hopes to outdo each other in a contest of coolness and creativity. Once we reviewed our creations, we'll put them to the test and have you, the community, vote and tell us who wins the contest. So here are the rules. Each of us will be assigned one of the careers that we've reviewed, and we must create a character using normal character creation rules. In addition... Once we have completed character creation, we each receive 1,000 earned XP to advance our character however we'd like. So we've created our characters. We'll present them, giving a little bit of background and taking you through our character creation process, explaining why we made the choices we did. Old Worlders is where you come in. You can follow the links in the show notes and vote. We've posted polls on our webpage, on Facebook, and on Twitter. You can go out there and vote. Tell us who you think had the coolest character and gets bragging rights over their fellow co-host. All right. Who's going first? I'll I'll go first. Okay. Sounds good. All right. So my character is Jurgen Beckwith. Uh, I felt obligated to go with the initials JB because apparently that's like, if you're going to make a character that's a spy, it has to be either James Bond or Jack Bauer or Jason Bourne or any of the other JB names. So Jurgen Beckwith is my spy. So I did, uh, of course, end up getting some extra experience from sticking with human. I just stuck with my attributes. They were pretty darn good right out of the gate. And my motivation is revenge, nice. which we'll get to shortly. So this being such having um, a lot of like the social skills and fellowship be such an important part of this career. I went heavy with those skills, charm, cool gossip. I, I boosted up as high as I could. Perception is a big one. My talents were suave, which is obviously a great one to get that fellowship boost. 
acute sense hearing, animal affinity, very resilient, and doomed. And I, I used the amazing table in the back of the Game Master's booklet to get my doomed. And it came out as, no mortal warrior shall be thy end. Ooh. So, <laughs> oh, that's Jurgen, cool. Jurgen Beckwith definitely wants to steer clear of the, uh, the otherworldly beings out there. Um, started out taking the gregarious talent, which is an excellent talent for this career really gives you a huge boost of gossip, which is super helpful. Um, as we talked about, you don't really get much in the way of weaponry as a courtier from your class trappings, just a dagger to start. And you don't get a hand weapon as your career trapping, but ideally, like we talked about, you don't really want, or you don't really need a whole lot of weapon related things right out of the gate. So I did the the standard thing that I, I tend to do, which is get my career in position to be able to go up to the second level, which I did. So I took five advances in Gamble, five advances in Haggle. I took five advances to the Willpower attribute, five to the Agility attribute. So that got me where I needed to be. Uh, I did pick up some other talents in that first tier. I didn't take Blather, which... Lance might wow. think it was heresy because I, I have talked in the past about liking that talent a lot, but it didn't feel as important, I guess, for this character. I did pick up Krauser. I picked up Shadow, which Shadow is a really fun one, especially if you're trying to, you know, hide and follow someone to, to you know, figure out what they're up to. Uh, at that point, I jumped up to the next career level. Um, I took plus one to the weapon skill charm. That was enough to get me to the next um, bonus, although... Now I think about it, I don't think there's that many opportunities where your weapon skill bonus comes into play, but I did anyways. I also picked up, I went pretty heavy with the talents. I took uh, lip reading, I took read write, and of course I took secret identity, of as well course. as seven advances in entertain acting and one advance in the sleight of hand skill. So uh, it's worth noting that the dagger that I have is a stolen dagger, which we will get to shortly. So that is how I built Jürgen Beckwith. His backstory is this. <clears throat> Jürgen Beckwith was only six when his parents disappeared. Alone and scared, Jürgen wandered the streets of Nuln, begging for food and shelter. Jürgen survived this way for months until a kind man named Till Kriegsen offered him more. A dry place to live, a warm meal, and a parental figure that Jürgen could look up to. In exchange for his hospitality... Till asked Jürgen if he could find out some information for him. This lasted years and years, and Jürgen continued to hone his skills, seamlessly integrating into various groups to obtain knowledge for Till. With this came a wealth of knowledge about the inhabitants of Nome, including an old seer who warned Jürgen about Till, claiming he was not what he appeared to be. Curious, Jürgen started following Till and secretly looking into his past. This was largely fruitless until the day he came across a letter. This letter was a communication between Till and his master, Lady Kirsten Yahutsman, and outlined his plan to murder a husband and wife and befriend their child, all in an attempt to groom the child into a spy for his master. Jürgen immediately became sick with rage. He grabbed a dagger from a nearby shelf and waited in the shadows. When Till returned, Jürgen plunged the dagger into his heart and sat while his former friend took his last breath. With Till dead... Jürgen turned his sights onto Lady Kirsten. There it is. Legit. Jürgen, nice. Jürgen Beckwith. All right. 
I don't know. I don't know if I'm going to get this one. So we'll give it a try. Um, so uh, my character for Spy was uh, Jacobus Bindo, uh, which uh, in German is James Bond. And hey, I... I, I knew it. I didn't say anything beforehand, but I was like, he's going to go with the JB thing too. I'm sure of it. <laughs> well, uh, so obviously um, I rolled up a human um, and I did not get the uh, court, the spy uh, despite my three tries. Um, I did rearrange my, uh, my initial roles a little bit. Um, and uh, I, because this is such a big fellowship character, I really wanted I wanted to start strong. So um, I had rolled um, a couple 17s. So I moved one into fellowship, one into intelligence. And then I went from there. Uh, three points into, uh, I had three for fate, three for resilience. And I ended up starting by putting five into fellowship just to start to get me up to 42. So with my skills, um, I went ahead and put five advances into charm ranged bow and gossip um and then for the three advances melee basic cool and haggle for my talents uh obviously i have doomed and i rolled that up on the chart and thou shalt live only whilst beholden to friends so fascinating yeah yep so that'll that'll play in a little bit here i got savvy to bring my intelligence to 42 um I really wanted intelligence to be higher for this character, um, and I don't have another way to update it. So um, random talents, I got sharp, which brought my initiative up to 37. Pure soul, which is basically a bonus to your threshold for corruption. And attractive. Um, my guy's a looker. He's a hunk. So um, for my career skills, normally I just throw five into everything, but... I would be very focused with this character. So instead, I put 10 into charm, 10 into cool, 10 into gossip, and 10 into haggle. Um, so just to, just to start. And I did that on purpose because I wanted to maximize the efficiency of, of this fellowship for the character. And I picked up the talent Gregarious because, of course, because that's a legit, a legit talent. So... I got my basic class and career trappings. I won't resend all of those. Um, and uh, so I uh, went ahead and got to my, uh, we'll touch on my ambitions in just a second, or uh, but we'll just uh, go in. So I ended up with 45 bonus XP, so 1,045 to spend. Um, I started right off the top by putting five into willpower to bring my willpower to 36, five into agility to bring that to 35. Um, I went ahead and spent three into fellowship to bring my fellowship up to 45. I followed that up by putting five into bribery, which brings my bribery to 50, plus one into cool to bring my cool to 50, five into gamble to bring that up to 47, uh, two into haggle to bring that up to 60. And so you're seeing I'm putting a lot of experience into skills. I put eight into perception to bring that up to 42. Five into Stealth Urban to bring that to 40. And then I picked up the talent Shadow just because it's a cool talent. Um, and then I, I I don't have hardly any XP left, but I did move into Tier 2 into Spy. 
And then I picked up plus one into sleight of hand, throwing that to 30. And I picked up the talent secret identity, which would be a scion noble. So uh, Jacobus is 25 years old. He's five foot 10, light brown hair and gray eyes. Your standard Reichlander. And uh, so here is our story of Jacobus. Jacobus, he worked for a merchant, had a good a good job, well-paying, and however, the local countess in uh, the area, Countess Teresa von Vincente, she was beautiful, and he was in love with her. And he, as I said, is attractive and a hunk of a guy, and she liked him as well. However, there's a little bit of an issue where they, you know, there's a class difference, and it wouldn't really be allowed, but she visited the store often. One day, as she was visiting the store, with her family uh, there. This is a, a well-to-do store with, you know, noble clothing. So, however, the witch hunters broke in and they discovered cult artifacts in the store. Uh, the store owner was burned at the stake and Jacobus was to be burned next. However, a friend from childhood who is now a witch hunter managed to save him and said, I'm saving you, but you have to work for me. You have to become a spy, and I need you to find out what happened and find out where these cult artifacts came from. And he started by infiltrating the Vincente estate, which was perfect for him because his love of his life was there. Um, and he eventually um, disguised himself as a young scion. She completely had no idea it was him as he worked in his job to have her fall in love with him. The only problem is, is all of the evidence he's finding points to her family being heavily involved in this chaos cult. And so he walks the line of feeding information to the witch hunters enough to keep him in the in the mansion and to keep trying to court his love, but not enough that the witch hunters could come in and burn his love and her family to the stake. Very nice. Nice. Yep. So his his short-term ambition is to get the witch hunters to stop investigating the Vincente family, and his long-term ambition is to marry the Countess. Which, by the way, Countess Teresa, uh, Teresa von Vincente is also uh, a play on James Bond's wife. Nice. Hmm. All right. Very nice. Time to take a look at our wardens. Who's up first? I guess uh, I can go first. Unless, Nolan, if you want to take over. Nope, I'll let you go first. Okay. All right. So um, my character character's name is Egert Fulgen. Um, I rolled a human, so I got the plus 20 XP. I unfortunately didn't roll the career, uh, so I got zero XP for choosing that. So I just picked Warden. Uh, for the attributes, I rolled really well. Um, everything was over 30 except for initiative. I got 29 Wow. Uh, so I got. So I just mm. left it as is. I got the plus fifty experience points for that. Um, for my initial advanced characteristics, uh, for the five advances, I just put it all into strength. So by that time, my strength is thirty-five now. Nice. Wow. Um, for my species skills, uh, the skills with five advances, I chose cool leadership range bow to get the range bow started for the next tier. Um, skills with three advances, I chose Charm, Gossip, and Melee Basic. For my talents, um, my Doomed is Death Sings Sweetly. 
So for a warden, you know, that could be interesting story play with that. Uh Uh-huh. I got, I chose Suave for the plus five fellowship. I rolled uh, Savvy, plus five intelligence, pure soul for those corruption points, (laughs) and animal affinity. Um, Overall, for the 40 advances amongst my skills for my career, I just put five in all eight. So I put five in athletics, charm animal, consume alcohol, cool, endurance, intuition, lower local, and perception. So that gave me the ability to kind of bump up to the next tier right away. The talent I chose for free is night vision, just to get that right off the bat. I'm not going to go over the trappings. It's pretty much the same stuff we usually get. Um, I like the lamp oil, though. Can't, Can't go wrong with that. Von Holes quality. (laughs) (laughs) So for all my experience here that was left, uh, I put another hundred into the talent strike to stun. I figured that might be useful in the future here. Um, I spent 125 to get uh, five levels to my toughness. Spent 125 to get another five levels for willpower to cover my bases for the next tier. Um, I went talent heavy with this career, anticipating kind of like more of story play with the career. So uh, the next talent I got is Sharp, uh, plus five initiative, which bumped it beyond the 30 now because that was my lowest one at 29. Now I'm at 34. Um, I got the talent Menacing uh, in anticipation of future stuff as well. (laughs) At that point here, I went to tier two to Warden. And so far, I think I got a great start, you know, with all my stats. I got the other talent, Rover, because I think that's just cool and great to have for sneaking around. It's death in rural environment, being outdoors if you don't want, want, want to be found. And then for my character, I put a ton more points into cool, another 14 skill points into cool. Nice. For the remainder of the points to equal everything out. In fact, I, had, I, I think I had 25 points left that I didn't spend. So overall, um, on my on my stats, looking at weapon skill 36, ballistic skill 37, strength 35, toughness 37, initiative 34, agility 32, dexterity 31, intelligence 38, and willpower and fellowship are at 40. Um, this career, I really wanted to put stance into cool. So now with cool, my advances, I got 24 advances in cool. Jeez. This guy's cool. <laughs> Um, he rolls now at a 64. Wow. Pretty cool. Goodness. And, and you know, that's just perfect overall for me because those are the rules. I figure he's going to be based off the character I chose and you'll see why, but you know, to help him remain calm, resist fear, stick to convictions, resist charm, intimidate or similar. I, I kind of geared him toward that. So, <laughs> so this is, this is a result of, of uh, Conrad failing fear tests. Exactly. <laughs> so Eager, uh, his story is he's a newly appointed warden of a large estate of the largest state of Skitsville. Um, Eager has taken over as warden after his father, who was a previous warden, passed on and passed over the title to him. His father's last words to him were to not waste this opportunity. A words that Eager has taken to heart. The current Duke was a cruel man until he became bedridden recently due to a freak ac- accident. Now more than ever, the Duke needs his wardens to take over the daily operations. And Egert will not be outdone by the other wardens and will stake his claim here and now. Egert was raised to do this. He knows every inch of the estate and knows everyone and what they do, even some of their secrets. He is cool and collected. He will not waste this opportunity at all. 
he will do whatever it takes to assume control over the estate and do the to do the duke's bidding, of course. It will not be an easy task as the other estate wardens are just as cruel as a duke and far more intelligent. And that pretty much is Egert. And pr pretty much, you know, you set up the story of, you know, he's, he's kind of there and he's got some fighting battles to do, but his main goal is to kind of slyly or do what he needs to take over the estate because the duke's bedridden right now. And now it's prime time to kind of take over. That's legit. <laughs> All righty. So uh, my warden name is Demeter von Horsbach. <laughs> yep. <laughs> um, so I... <laughs> Are you all right over there, Lance? <laughs> I, I just want like, I just want I, I was gonna say I just want one point for that. That's all I'm hoping. Um so I rolled human and took that, so I got 20 experience for that. Unfortunately, I had to choose my career, so nothing for that. For my attributes, I I rolled like uh Steve pretty well. I think my lowest actually is uh was strength and fellowship but i did actually end up rearranging some of them to get you know to better suit what i wanted to do so i only took 25 experience uh i put all my extra points into fate so now i have a five fate and one resilience because mm. i felt like yeah my character like in my opinion was very lucky you know like um that's like that was my whole he was like, all right, he's lucky, and that's all he's going to do. Motivation, power. So he really, like, he wants to climb the ladder as well. Uh, I put one in strength, two in toughness, and two in willpower for my five advances. Uh, for my skills, evaluate, melee, basic, and haggle were my five advances for skills. And then charm, cool, and gossip were the three. My doomed was at the end of the day, you'll all learn to dance. What? That's I so cool. It. Did you come up with that on your own or did you roll that? I came up with that with my own. Nice. That's cool. So uh that was that. So that's my doom. Uh I took suave, and then for my three randoms, I got cool headed, attractive, and super numerate. And uh I put 10 skills uh, for the career skills. I also, I usually do like to do, you know, five to everything. Just keep it good. There we go. But I put 10 in intuition, 10 into perception, 10 into endurance, and 10 into consume alcohol. Like, it was like, those were it. Those are the only ones I'm uh, going to concentrate on. And my career talent I took was night vision. Nice. That's, uh, the, that's the way to go for efficiency. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, is actually he's to me the Demeter is actually my youngest character. He's only eighteen years old, uh, five three. So I think he's also my shortest. Gold brown hair and pale gray eyes. So uh, my short term ambition is to start up my own house. So the the von Horsbach family, <laughs> and then and then my long term. Uh, is to become an electric. So we are one of the main people. So 
Here, so I got the. Okay, I gotta freeze. <laughs> okay, so for my experience, I actually did a very bizarre way. So I spent, I ended up spending 600 experience to jump from warden to seneschal to governor and taking one talent from each all the way. So uh, Fascinating. I took Strider, Woodland, Embezzle, and then Commanding Presence. So there was my, what was it? I think that's 900 experience right there. Five advances to Fellowship, and then 20 experience to Charm. So I, I this is actually the first time I've used all my ex starting experience. So uh, I got a 43 in charm, 45 uh, consume alcohol, 45 endurance. My intuition is 49. Perception is 49. Evaluate is 42. And gossip is 42. So, Demeter von Horsbach was the steward of the local baron ruler. While never was very good with a sword, he was very clever and knew how to win over the people with his charm. Unfortunately, the day came where his father passed, and he started up as the steward of the local baron. Unfortunately, Demeter wasn't so keen on just being a, the local side ruler. So, with clever embezzlement and charm, he was able to convince the ruling family to take some time off and head out to their uh, vacation home along the way, and that he will run the estate when he is gone and will have it in tip-top shape for when he returns home. Unfortunately, as the old saying goes, the roads are dangerous this time of night, and the family never made it to their vacation home. So now sticks Demeter von Horsbach, the current ruler of this local town. Dark. I love it. <laughs> and yeah. that's the way it goes down. <laughs> I and, like uh, the fact that you, you took a different approach, right? You were like, I don't want to do any of these middle tiers. I'm just going to spend yep. 200 XP pop and just start jumping. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to spend nice. 600 XP and go all the way. Yep, like that was my entire plan. I was like, and it also makes sense with the Doom, you know, at the end we'll all dance. <laughs> um, and usually we don't talk about like, oh, this is who I base myself off of. Uh, so to to meet her, if you guys have ever seen the movie The Mummy with Brandon Fraser, if you remember his uh, friend Benny, the Hungarian that was always very cowardly and stuff, running away and stuff, that's who I based my guy on. Nice. So he's very, you know, charm and he knows stuff, but he's very like, I'm out of here at the first sign of danger. <laughs> That's legit. Good one. Well, I think the at the very least you've won Lance over with your uh, name choice. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Is yep. I couldn't stop laughing, he man. You got your vote right there. <laughs> <laughs> uh like I had no idea. I was like, oh Demeter was like, oh, what's a good last name? Vaughn. Eh, horseback. And then just <laughs> just horseback. Uh, uh, it's French. Awesome. Yeah, it's horseback. It's, it's horseback. Uh, All right, listeners, those are our characters. Again, we've posted polls on our webpage, Facebook, and Twitter. Be sure to vote and tell us which character you like the most. So tonight's question comes from Martin A. He sent us this question. 
Hi there, old world crew. I'm a longtime listener and a first emailer. I've got a question concerning Trader's Heart. Trader's Heart, the dark gods entice you to commit horrendous periphery should you attack or otherwise betray an ally to the full extent of your capabilities, regain all fortune points. If you cause another character to lose a fate point, gain one fate point. The way it is phrased makes it seem like it is a permanent effect and not a temporary one. Do you guys consider this to be a fair, or should it be changed to a temporary one? And in that case, how long should it last? A D10 days? Weeks? Months? Thanks for taking your time to answer this question, and stay safe, Martin. I I love this, because it really adds in and, like, force... It doesn't force, but it gives the opportunity for some real some real chaos to kind of show through. Right. So for mm-hmm. me, I think this would be permanent and it would stay just as that. If you're willing to make that move against an ally and things happen the way they go, then. So, that, so you're saying even, even if, if they decide 10, 10 sessions down the line after they roll this, that they want to try to get some fate back. Oh, you're saying that it's no, I, I would say it would happen immediately that the effect of it is permanent, but you'd have to resolve it right away. And I, yeah, I think that's what he's trying to say. Like, it seems like this is a, well, you could read it both ways, right? So the effect is permanent versus temporary, right? So like, do you get one extra fate? Is it permanent? Yes. If you don't spend it, it's permanent for sure. Right. right. That's not but temporary, the, but the, the question is permanent. Right. But is he trying to say like trader's heart, this is now an option my player has from now on like is my traitorous heart now part of my character for, oh, yeah. right that's, that's or or is this mm-hmm. is this a fleeting moment something i have to make a decision on right now in the moment and it goes away and i think that's a great question because i would argue that you could argue it both ways right mhm so my initial thought was you rolled a miscast and the effect of that miscast is this you need to make a decision on if you want to do this or not, right? Do you want to betray an ally? Now, the problem is, is depending on initiative or what's going on, the scene that's happening, there's a lot of GM intervention going to be required here, right? Because this isn't like the on your next initiative slot during your next battle, right? It's not that specific, right? So the question is, though, is like, do you need to immediately as your character in whatever scene you're in act on this in order to gain this benefit we'll call it or can you deal with this traitorous heart inside and and have this come out 10 10 episodes from now or could you do it multiple times you know depending on your your right something happens you you convince your crew it's an accident and then 10 sessions later you do it again because you need another fate point yeah i think it's the ambiguity of the way it's written is really unfortunate in this sense that another sentence or two in there would clarify that. Um, that's a tricky one for me. I, I think it would have to be soon, probably within session or, or at most, you know, within a session or two, but my, my immediate interpretation is that it would be, it would have to be resolved fairly quickly. Yeah, and I almost think that it's kind of within, like, the combat realm of right then and there. Like, you miscast, but if you're, like, obviously, if you miscast, you might be in, like, a battle or so, or something along that line. 
Um, cause pretty much the next day, I mean, the next session you recover all your fortune points regardless. Yeah. It's just kind of, I think more mm -hmm. of like, Hey, are you at the line of the fate point? Are you about to die? Are you going to hurt your fellow combatant, uh, to bring yourself back to life? We get all your fortune points and you get that fate, fate point. Uh, another, so, so, an, another interesting way to consider this is, I mean, outside of it being, uh, you know, fitting within role playing, you could almost game that a little bit if you were lucky enough to roll it at the right time. Like if you had a character in your party that was out of fate points and they, you know, that's, that's the character that is super crucial to the story and the one that everybody loves and you don't want them to die. You could technically game it a little bit and just, you know, give them an extra fate point by utilizing this. But I don't know. At the same time, that doesn't really, so I think and, well, and, like and the there are different idea. tiers in this too. There's the small tier of just betray an ally to your full extent to regain all fortune points. But if that betrayal causes another character to almost like die or they got to use their fate point, then you get one. It's kind of a, uh, right. but what does betrayal mean? Right. See, that's another ambiguity, yeah. right? You bring that GM. up. So, so GM. what if, what if you're casting a spell to open a lock? You're not in combat at all and you miscast really poorly and you end up with this result, um, you know, betraying the ally could simply, it could literally simply be yelling at the top of your lungs so that y'all get caught in the bank you're yeah. trying to rob or something, you know, mm -hmm. like, so I think you could interpret it a few ways. And, and so here's first, let me say, I think this is a great miscast. Um, I agree that it's ambiguous, ambiguous. Ambi it has ambiguity. Ambiguous. It's not ambiguous. Thank you. But um, I think that this is absolutely a GM and multiple player discussion potentially. So here's how I would handle it as a GM. First, my initial response to this is you need to make a decision right now. Do you want to do this? Now, if the player or the scene or other players all felt or made an argument or said, no, we should, this should be something like it's permanently affected them. That would be cool for role play. First thing, if you ever come up with something as a group where you think, oh, this would be so cool for role play, I don't care what the book says, do it. Right. So the other piece right. of this is, so I think that you could go either way with this. I would bet that the intent on this, um, right. When, when I look at the miscast chart, I don't, there's not many options there that have super long lasting effects, right? Where they, they don't resolve themselves immediately, right? Even your big effects of all these crops die, it happens immediately. Like, so I would argue that this is immediate, but if I were the GM and you were arguing the other way, if all the players were fine with it, I would be fine with it. But the one concern I might have is, could you continue to use it? Is it a permanent effect, like where you could every so often, whenever you feel like you're low on fate? I, I think the, the thing you need to tell your players is you need to be, look, we could do this. But you realize that this could potentially lead for inter-party conflict, player versus player combat. And potentially, depending on how well your players can handle this sort of thing, real life hurt feelings right which you could yeah. run into even on this so you have to be careful you have to be the right gaming group that can handle it and make sure whatever decision you guys make as a group or you make as a gm takes that into account hmm. yeah i think you nailed it right that not every 
player is going to be in for that kind of like player versus player combat. It's not something you normally expect to happen in role playing outside of very specific circumstances or going into it, knowing that there's going to be player versus player. So yeah, I I think, I think you nailed it. It's a tricky one. It's one that, that has a lot of there's, there's a lot of discussion and I could see this being interpreted a lot of different ways. Like earlier you said could be betraying be as much as like, you know, not, not doing a, a small task that you're expected to do. But the fact that it's worded by saying betray an ally to the fullest extent of your capabilities like that, I guess, is mm. up for you and your GM to interpret. But right, right. That, that's got to be something severe. It's got to be for me to like accept that it would have to be something severe for sure. Mm hmm. Yeah. And so, yeah, I so this is it's one of those rules that I think is both awesome and could be a crutch, especially for new players and GMs where because it's not clear on exactly step by step what should happen. But I think good role players could make this like I have no doubt if we roll this up in our game, like my players, we would have so much fun with this. Right. Um but if you if you don't trust each other at the table or there's maybe some concerns, I mean, a, a good GM and maybe Martin, I don't know. I'm not sure if this is helping you because we're not giving you a straight answer. <laughs> um, but the, I hope we confused you tonight. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but the but the reality, I would say yeah. as as a GM, I'm assuming you're the GM in this situation, Martin. Maybe you're the player. But as a as a GM, I would say you remember at the end of the day, you make the ultimate decision. And if you have any concerns by playing it a certain way could result in a major falling out in the game, then you need to express that to your players, make the call and move on. Um, If you're a player and something's happening here where you're not sure you don't feel it's fair or something to that effect, then it's I think it's important to first talk to your GM and potentially to the other players at the table and explain like what you think. If this has become an argument for the table, then at the end of the day, right, your GM has to make a call, right? That's one of the reasons you have a GM. So, I mean, and it's difficult to tell from your email, like maybe what the underlying background in is this. Maybe you were just reading the rule book and had a question, but just I think there's a lot that can happen with this specific rule and as cool as it is, I could definitely see the problem. So I mean we're yeah. talking it to death, but maybe I mean, not cut quite as cut and dry as I thought originally. Right. I, I didn't <laughs> I, yeah, I didn't interpret the question the same way. Right. Um, but see, there's but. so many ways you could interpret it. Because I thought the same thing you did, Matt, when I first read it. I'm like, wow, this is really cut and dry. I'm surprised he asked this. But as I read more into it, I'm like, wow, man, this is yeah, so this is for the record. This was a great question. I really oh, enjoyed ex- the discussion. Question. Yeah, so Very, I loved it. Yeah, so yeah. old worlders, coming. don't hesitate. Send us questions like this. This is great discussion, and um, I cannot wait to uh, hear. And and Martin, please let us know if if this actually happened in your game. I'd love to hear what you guys came up with or what decisions you made. So um, I, I completely agree. I'd love to hear. Yeah. So so I think. Uh, before we move on to the end of our show tonight, uh, we actually have a question 
that we get to ask the Lord of the Underdeep. So, uh, the Lord of the Underdeep, you have joined our show um, as as the Lord of everything below the Dwarven Halls. And as part of that, when you first joined us, um, like the true Skaven you are, um, you hadn't yet played Wolfrup in all of its fourth edition glory. However, that has changed. And as you uh, take on the mantle of the Dwarven Lord of the Underdeep, we'd love to hear a story about uh, your your first foray, foray into this uh, excellent world. Uh, yep, I, I can finally say I am no longer a fraud because I have actually played uh, <laughs> Wolf 4th Edition. Um, so basically, it was just a bunch of my friends. Like, they have listened to this podcast before, and they were like, you know, I was like, you know what? Run us through a session. I was like, yeah, I'll do a one-shot. Uh, the other group, gaming group I usually do with uh, for Dungeons & Dragons, we were a little bit on a hold. So I was like, yeah, I'll run you through something. And basically my premise was, hey, you guys are at a fort, and I'm just going to have waves and waves of orcs attacking. So it was just a one shot. I let them know what was coming up. Yep. Like, that was just the whole premise. Well, uh, and, you know, they all came with their their creations. I had a couple soldiers. I had a wizard. Mm -hmm. And uh, the best part about it was... Only there was four of them, and only one person made it out. Uh, yep, I ended up mur- well. Two of them I killed. The wizard actually like called down a comet on her to like buy time for like the other people, because basically I was like, all right, in my mind and behind you know like my nose, I was like, all right, I'm gonna send. This is how many orcs they have to kill. Um, to progress, you know, blah and blah, progress. And then the war ward will come, and then that's it. That's where we'll end it. But it was great, because in the beginning, it was just like, you know, just threw a couple of them, and it was like, oh, wow, we killed them. You know, that's, you know, that wasn't so hard. And then you could just see my face like, oh, yeah, you know, you guys are doing great. It was just wave one, done. Wave two. And just kept going more and more and more, like, it got very bad. Like they kept getting pushed back and back and back. And eventually the warlord came out and they, like I said, the wizard called the common autumn to basically kill him and a lot of other people, but sacrificed herself in the process. Called a comet. You say that sounds yeah. awesome. It's uh, going on more than it usually should. Eh? Yep. <laughs> And the best part is, like, she like she was like, "Oh, I'm gonna do the what is it, Comet of Casadora?" Yeah, I believe it's yeah. called. She was like, yeah. "I was like, all right, where are you gonna do it?" And she just pointed right to her square and looked me right in the eyes and be like, "Right here." And I was like, "Oh, this isn't good." <laughs> That's uh, awesome. That's stuff. So, but, yeah, how, like, did your players enjoy? Oh yeah, they enjoyed it. They loved it. Awesome. Like, gonna- it, it was a little different because you know. From Dungeons and Dragons, you know, you roll D twenty and stuff like this, where it's like, well, this one you need uh, D one hundred and success levels and yada yada. So it was a little, I wouldn't say hard, but a little bit at first to get them not into it. But like, this is how this game works. So at the beginning, it was a little bit tricky, but eventually they picked up on it, and 
at by the end of the night, we were all talking about it and having a good old time. Excellent. So when are you starting your campaign? <laughs> uh, that's still, I guess, in the works. Uh, I guess when, uh, when it drops, I'll let you know. <laughs> baby steps, right? <laughs> yeah, baby steps. Awesome. That's awesome. All right. Yep. Well, that's the end of our show tonight. All right. So intrepid listeners, keep in touch. Let us know your questions, feedback, and even show topic suggestions. You can contact us multiple ways by checking out our website at www.oldworldpodcast.com, Twitter at Old World Podcast, and of course, Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Old World Podcast. While you're at it, check us out on various social interwebs. Be sure to hop on over to our Patreon page and support us. If you like what we're doing and want to help out, become a patron. For only a couple dollars a month, you can help support the show and get some cool rewards, too. Uh, check us out at patreon.com slash oldworldpodcast. Or if you want some merchandise, we got a merchandise store. You can go to oldworldpodcast.com slash store. Also, let us know what you think. Visit iTunes or your preferred podcast service and rate us. Every review helps us reach even more Warhammer fans. This is Lance saying goodnight, and I like my Bugman shaken, not stirred. This is Matt saying goodnight, and hmm, is my name really Matt, or have I had a secret identity all along? This is Steve saying goodnight, and remember, wardens can spy, but can spies warden. And this is Nolan saying, go ahead and take your vacation. Everything will be here when you come back. <laughs> this podcast and related website are completely unofficial and are not endorsed by Games Workshop Limited or Cubicle 7 Entertainment. It is intended for educational and informational purposes only. GW Games Workshop, Warhammer, Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay, and all associated logos, illustrations, images, names, creatures, races, vehicles, locations, weapons, characters, and the distinctive likenesses thereof are registered trademarks of Games Workshop Limited, Cubicle 7 Entertainment, or their respective trademark or copyright holders. All original content of this podcast, including any audio or video information, is the intellectual property of the Old World Podcast and Crimson Tower Studios, LLC.